Welcome to Episcopals, bringing you the latest in faith-based advocacy from the Episcopal Church Office of Government Relations. Hey, welcome back to the show, Lindsay. We uh, just had you on for our first episode uh, this season and the event on Afghan refugees. Uh, But this episode starts a series that we're doing within the season focusing on General Convention and Executive Council resolutions. Uh, we know we have some church nerds listening, uh, and shout out to the church nerds. We appreciate you paying attention. Uh, but for those unfamiliar with our church governance, uh, I was wondering, Lindsay, could you just briefly explain, before we get to immigration, what General Convention and Executive Council are? Absolutely. And thanks, Alan. It's, it's great to be back. Uh, General Convention and Executive Council are, are the governing and legislative bodies of the church. So General Convention meets every three years as a bicameral legislature of the House of Deputies and the House of Bishops. Executive Council meets throughout the year, and there are around 40 members. Uh, So both of these bodies pass resolutions on any number of church concerns, from liturgical to financial, something you'd consider more church-like, but they also pass public policy resolutions that encourage Episcopalians, parishes, dioceses, um, and other organizations of the church, like the Office of Government Relations, to advocate on. So I lead our office's engagement on all of the immigration and refugee policy resolutions. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for that, uh, that explanation. Uh, I know I, I grew up as an Episcopalian and did not, uh, wasn't aware of that church structure, you know, fully. So um, even for those, uh, those Episcopalians from birth and new Episcopalians, like this is, this is information that can be new to them. So uh, yeah, there are decades of these resolutions on hundreds of issues um, and our office uses uh, buckets or or categories. I'm using air quotes here as we're recording, you know, to describe these resolutions in a more concise way, uh, even though, of course, many of the topics either do not fit within to one of those larger buckets or categories, um, or they may even fit into multiple categories. Uh, but your portfolio, Lindsay, uh, really is to cover one of the more uh, definable categories, immigration and refugees. Um, so I'm wondering, what could you tell us, broadly speaking, about the resolutions that the church has on immigration and refugees? Absolutely. Uh, like you said, we have, um, in the immigration refugee space in particular, we have dozens and dozens of resolutions that span decades and numerous topics, even within these, these broad, definable categories. Um, in fact, we have church policy since the 1930s, uh, when General Convention began to call for the loosening of restrictive and racially discriminatory immigration quotas. That was how our immigration system was defined from the 30s to the 50s before we passed the Immigration and Nationality Act. Um, And we also passed policy about receiving asylum seekers who were coming from war-torn areas. But in more recent times, the last 30 or so years, the church has continued to be visible and vocal and expansive in advocating for reform of refugee and immigration policies. Um, speaking on on a wide variety of topics, and I'm happy to give you some examples of what General Convention has called for, right? So I think, broadly speaking, we have resolutions on pathways to citizenship for the undocumented. Our undocumented population is around uh, 10.5 to 11 million. Um, We've also repeatedly called for pathways for, for DREAMers, the undocumented youth population that we have in the United States. Um, We also have policy on protecting refugees and asylum seekers fleeing violence and abuse. Refugees, we kind of think about those who come through the refugee admissions program that are resettled by Episcopal Migration Ministries, and we have many resolutions supporting them. And asylum seekers, 
we tend to think of folks who are coming to our to the the southwest U.S. border with Mexico. Another area that we that we focus on is the humane treatment of of migrants um, and immigrants, particularly children and, and those in detention. Um, and treatment falls under how we enforce our immigration laws uh, as well. And we've con- outwardly condemned discriminatory or racist treatment of, of migrants uh, from the Americas, from, from Muslim majority countries as well. It's something we've been really outspoken on as well. Um, additionally, I'll just highlight we have support for sanctuary ministries um, around the country. And we have a number of, of policies that intersect with my colleague Patricia's work in the international space on global migration, um, including addressing the root causes of migration. So as you can see, I have, a, I have quite a bit to work on, but that's just kind of a broad strokes of what our immigration and refugee policy looks like. Yeah. Yeah. No, that is quite a bit and, and know that there's more detail in each of those, those summary areas you, you mentioned. Uh, and also appreciate you highlighting, you know, how immigration does connect to other, uh, other areas, other issues where we have church policy and where we do engage in advocacy as well. Um, so that was, that was helpful. So maybe moving a little more specific, um, just picking a couple of examples. Uh, what are some of the resolutions that you find particularly helpful or sort of notable uh, in the body of policies that we have? Definitely. Um, happy to. These are resolutions that I look at every day when I'm engaging with, with Congress and trying to articulate the church's position. So I'm quite familiar with them. Some of the more notable ones that I, that I work on, I often think of a resolution from 1985, which called on Congress to pass legislation. I think the phrasing is to recognize human realities of the millions of undocumented people in the country from 1985 and to provide for appropriate asylum and safe haven for those fleeing political repression from abroad. So that was a really specific resolution. Um, and of course, we passed comprehensive immigration reform in 1986. So it was timely, but it's also still relevant today. And I think that's one of the first where we kind of conceptualize this idea of comprehensive immigration reform. Yeah, yeah. And so in that, when you say we passed comprehensive immigration reform, you're saying that the the church passed the resolution in 85 and then yes. the U.S. government passed immigration reform in 86. Correct. Correct. Okay. Um, well, and our well, office well. was around then and... Um, the resolution um, that is passed directly translate to, to work that we work on and Congress and the legislation they pass. Thanks sure. for, for clarifying. Awesome. Uh, a second resolution I see as key to my advocacy and has been reaffirmed several times since is one from 2009, where we call for comprehensive immigration reform specifically and a pathway to legalization for millions of undocumented people. Um, I think the population back in 1985 was closer to 3 million. Now it's 11 million. Um, and, you know, talking about pathway legalization for those folks and also adds the consideration for a pathway to for the youth that I mentioned called DREAMers. In 2012, we officially endorsed the DREAM Act in a, in a separate resolution. So those two, the comprehensive immigration reform and the 2012 DREAM Act are, are both fundamental to the work. Um, and finally, I think I'll highlight one from 2018, a little bit more recently, that I think has provided some really good recommendations that I use um, it's one called Christian Principles to Guide Responses to Human Migration. And I think it's really helpful and really notable because it, it provides a global scope that is really helpful in the work that we do. I focus a lot on U.S. immigration and, and that kind of work. But 
global migration and, and refugee and displacement crises is a huge global issue and something that the United States and other countries can be work, working on. And what I would like about this resolution is that it incorporates the role of resettlement and of providing for refugees uh, for safe and orderly humanitarian protection across the globe. And it provides a set of recommendations that I'm able to look at and refer to when um, when I'm really looking to expand my work. So I really like the global scope of that 2018 resolution as well. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks for, for going at least, you know, one more layer down, looking at a couple of them. And, and we only have so much time here in one podcast episode, you know, we can't cover all resolutions, but, you know, I think it's helpful to, to note which ones have been uh, significant, um, but also to remind folks, like, while, you know, the resolutions from the most recent convention or the most recent council executive council meeting help and guide our office, you know, as soon as they are, are passed, um, so do all of the resolutions preceding them. Um, and so it really is this rich body of uh, informed uh, resolutions that, that we can use and refer to. Uh, so, you know, uh, maybe a, a last question here, um, immigration, like many topics, it's one that peaks in the news periodically, uh, I think, but uh, it's really always alive. There's always something going on in the immigration space. Immigration is always happening. Uh, policymakers are always having to look at it, whether or not it's in the news or not. Uh, so knowing that some aspects of immigration uh, are uh, hidden in a sense, and that the public isn't maybe as aware of them, uh, what are some areas that we advocate on that aren't talked about as much? No, that's a that's a really good question, Alan. And I think rightfully so. We focus a lot on specific humanitarian issues, dreamers and the undocumented, as I've mentioned several times in this podcast, people seeking safety and asylum, immigrants who are already here, who have families. But something that we do have policy on that isn't talked about as much is some of the policy we have on legal immigration or, or employment-based immigration. Uh, for example, we have policy from 2003 supporting the expansion of temporary workers programs. Uh, so this policy has allowed me to engage with Congress on issues like farm workers who are here on a specific type of visa called the H-2A visa, and where there is a large undocumented population in the farm worker industry. But there's also this population who is here on, on legal visas who require reform. And there are more people who are abroad and who might want to come temporarily to the United States to provide for their families who remain in their home countries. And so this is kind of a pathway we talk about that could potentially prevent folks from making the dangerous journey up to the U.S. border if we're expanding some of these temporary worker programs, uh, because there are folks who are seeking asylum, but there are also folks who are just looking for a better life and looking to provide for their, their family. And so that's a policy that we have, again, from two decades ago that I, that I refer to um, and that is not talked about as often, but something that I advocate on. Um, and if I, if I may, I'll just add one more point of an issue that we work on. I think the work we do, um, there's a resolution that encourages us to work with our Anglican, Episcopal, ecumenical and interfaith partners to address root causes of migration. Um, and advocate for just solutions. And so uh, the work that we do with our partners across the church on migration, that is a little bit more behind the scenes. Um, and again, addressing those root causes, trying to prevent people from having to make a dangerous journey if they don't have to, uh, is some work that I want to highlight. And, and finally, we advocate for funding for refugees overseas who might not be 
able or eligible to come to the U.S. through resettlement. And so the work that we're doing with humanitarian assistance that I work on with Patricia and others, I think is something that I'd love to highlight and, and encourage folks to take a look at the ways that we we work on that and the resolutions that allow us to do so. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for that. And it's always encouraging to me to hear how we work with other organizations, um, even ones that are sort of closer to home, like the like Anglican Community and Partners, but, but other faith groups and secular organizations as well. And uh, also to remind myself and, and uh, folks tuning in that, you know, people in the U.S., either through the church advocacy or advocacy to the U.S. government, really can have, they're in a position to have a big impact even globally. Uh, and it's important to, to note that. So, so thanks for, for raising that uh, and illuminating these details you know, of our immigration policies broadly in such a short time. Yeah. So for listeners tuning in, uh, please know you can explore church resolutions on your own uh, through the archives website. There are two search engines, one for general convention resolutions and one for executive council resolutions. But we also have our policy for action index on all public policy related resolutions that guide our office. Uh, There are summaries there, they're grouped as best we can group them. Um, Again, knowing that some fit into different categories or multiple categories, uh, but it is hopefully a useful resource to guide your own advocacy. Uh, And finally, thanks to everyone in the church who is helping to move our policies forward. We have general convention coming up in 2024 uh, with that work already underway. Uh, and thank you to folks who then, once that work is done, once the resolutions are passed, you're taking action, whether that's through our office or your local church um, and advocating with others in the Episcopal Public Policy Network. Uh, so thanks for tuning in and look forward to seeing you all next time. The Office of Government Relations aims to represent the policy priorities of the Episcopal Church to the U.S. government in Washington, D.C., and to influence policy and legislation on critical issues, all while highlighting voices and experiences of Episcopalians and Anglicans globally. The office facilitates the Episcopal Public Policy Network, a grassroots network of Episcopalians engaged in the Ministry of Public Policy Advocacy. Take action and learn more by following the links in the description. The Episcopals podcast is produced by the staff of the Office of Government Relations, with the support from our podcast engineer, Ellie Singer, and project manager, Chris Sikama. Thanks for listening, and join us next time on Episcopals. For 100 years, the generous donations of Episcopalians and supporters to the Good Friday offering have helped the Christian presence in the land of the Holy One to be a vital and effective force for peace and understanding among all of God's children. A lifeline of hope in times of genuine need in years past, the Good Friday offering continues to support churches, medical programs, and schools today. Now more than ever, we celebrate the centennial of this historic fund. Your support is needed. Give online at iam.ec slash offering or text GFO to 91999. The Good Friday Offering, celebrating a century of gifts and rejoicing in 2,000 years of good news.